You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. But for that reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And then the thoughts caused him to break out in this doxology. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, listen, God's forgiveness is free. It cost Jesus his life, but it's free for us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. In today's message with Pastor Danny, you'll learn about the incredible gift of forgiveness. You may think that you're the worst of sinners, like the Apostle Paul once said that he was, but you're forgiven in Christ, and God's forgiveness is free. It cost Jesus his life, but his sacrifice allows you to live as a forgiven child of God. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Colossians chapter 2 as he begins his message, Forgiveness. We started this series that I felt led to do for a while now on Christian basics. Uh, every week I've had a springboard verse, and our springboard verse for today is this. Now I want you to say this with me from Colossians. Are you ready? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's a tremendous truth. One of the Bible programs on the computer popped up this verse in the new NIV, and I'm not really impressed with the new NIV, but I happen to notice their translation from part of this, and I like that, and it says, he's canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. I mean, you talk about forgiveness. What a privilege to have personal forgiveness through faith in Christ. I hope after we leave today, you'll appreciate that forgiveness more than ever before. It is our greatest need, greater need than physical healing. That's proven in Jesus' ministry, Mark's gospel, chapter two. You're welcome to turn there. I'm just gonna read the story quickly. Mark chapter two. Verse 1, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum where he had set up his base, that became his home, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. 
Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. These guys are serious. Now, every time I read through this, uh, look, it has to be that these four friends of this paralytic are looking to see Jesus heal him of his paralysis. That's obvious. So they lowered the mat. And when Jesus, verse 5, saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know if they were taken aback by that, because again, I believe what they brought him there for was to see Jesus heal him of his paralysis. But Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? Here's the question. To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now stop a minute. Think about that question. Some might think, well, it's harder to say, take your mat and walk. No, it's much more difficult to say, your sins are forgiven. First of all, you've got to be God to do that. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. To prove that Jesus had authority to forgive this man's sins, he healed him of his paralysis. But his greater need was the first one that Jesus met, and that was the forgiveness of his sins. Greatest need we have. Virgin Mary, the angel Gabriel appears to her, tells her that she's going to become pregnant without being involved sexually with a man. It'll be by the Holy Spirit. And Gabriel gives her specific instruction that when this child is born, she is to name the child Jesus. Why? Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. And when Matthew writes this record of this communication by Gabriel to Mary, Give him the name Jesus, Gabriel says, because he will save his people from their sins. Greatest need we have. Here's what Acts chapter 4 says. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. John chapter 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's our greatest problem. Salvation, our greatest need. Jesus is our only hope. I don't know if you know this verse, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that tells us a lot. You see, one of the problems some people have is seeing their sin in the awfulness that it is. Luke's gospel, chapter 18. Jesus tells a parable on this point. Luke chapter 18, 
verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisees were the most religious people of the day. Tax collectors were some of the most despised. They were looked at by their fellow Jews, uh, Jewish brothers and sisters, as traitors because they worked for the Roman government to collect taxes from the Jewish people. So one's a Pharisee, the other's a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The problem with the Pharisees is they compared themselves with other people. Listen, if you compare yourself with other people, you can find some people that make you look pretty good. God uses the pen of the apostle Paul, and Paul is kind of like prosecuting attorney for heaven. Chapter one of Romans, I'm not going to read it, but talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness. And Jews would read this section and know that he's talking about the Gentile world, the pagan Gentile world. And it talks about their wickedness and their depravity. Then chapter two says this, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Then when you get to chapter 2, verse 17, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, and there it slams the Jews. And the culmination, Paul's concluding argument begins in chapter 3, where he says, verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin as it is written. And then he grabs from several different places in the Old Testament. He grabs these verses and he puts them together in one long final statement. Here it is. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And then verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of sin. So he indicts all of humanity. Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Not trying to be off color, but you need to know the Hebrew word that's translated filthy rags, the Hebrew word, it's the word for the monthly menstrual cloth of a woman. All our righteous acts, the best we can do, the best we can do, here's what God says, are like filthy rags. Best we can do. You see, there's the challenge. Even Isaiah had a challenge here. Even the one who penned these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because when you go back to Isaiah chapter 6, 
You'll find an interesting experience that Isaiah had that changed his life, changed his life. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord in a vision, seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another. Here's what they're calling out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah has this vision of the Lord, and here's his response to this vision of the holiness of God. Verse 5, woe to me, it means damnation to me, judgment to me. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now up to this point, Isaiah might have been tempted to say, I live among a people of unclean lips, but my lips aren't as unclean as theirs. But after he saw the Lord and the glory of the Lord and the holiness of Almighty God, he said, I'm damned. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Thank God it doesn't end there. Verse 6, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. That's the place of sacrifice. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Wow. I don't know if you've ever said and thought about our heritage of faith. Those that have gone on before. The likes of people that I will spend eternity with. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon if you read about the life of Nebuchadnezzar, he was wicked, he was vile, he was proud, but God saved him. He's my brother in the faith. I'll get to meet him one day. The Ninevites, remember, God commissions Jonah to go to Nineveh. The Ninevites, you talk about wicked. You talk about also bitter enemies of Israel, of Jonah, a Jewish man. Jonah didn't want to go. And of course, after being swallowed by the whale, three days and three nights in the whale, and the whale, whale got sick of him, spit him up on the shore, Jonah finally goes, and he tells God why he didn't go the first time. God already knew. But Jonah says, I knew you were compassionate and gracious. In other words, I knew you might forgive them if I preach repentance to them. If they repent, you'll forgive them. I don't want you to forgive them. Damn them. They deserve it. Bitter enemies of Israel. I mean, they were a ruthless people. You read about them in history, the Ninevites. But Jonah goes, Jonah goes and preaches, repent or you'll be judged. They repented and God forgave a whole city of wicked people. I'm going to meet them one day. I'm going to spend eternity with them. He saved them. Noah. Noah? Yeah, Noah, the man that God used to build the ark. The type of Christ, that if you go in Christ, you'll be saved from the judgment. You know what Noah did after the flood? Genesis 21 says he planted a vineyard, and he made himself some wine, and he got drunk, and he lay in a naked stupor in his tent. 
Noah. Abraham. Abram, exalted father, name changed later to Abraham, father of many. God called him. You know what he was doing, God called him? He's in Babylon with the Chaldeans. He's worshiping idols. And even after God saved him, saved him, forgave him of his idolatry. (laughs) Twice he lied about his wife. He went down to Egypt without God's direction, picked up a lady named Hagar, impregnated Hagar, and the fruit of that decision is still with us today. Lot. He left the tent life, ended up buying a home in Sodom. New Testament tells us he's a saved man, but he made some terrible decisions. Jacob, <laughs> Jacob, listen, Jacob was a dirty, rotten, sneaky thief. Moses was a murderer. And even after being humbled 40 years on the backside of the desert and became a humble leader for God, they're leading Israel in the wilderness wanderings. Years after leading them, he gets angry with the people, and he strikes the rock twice, and he forfeits a trip into the promised land. Moses. Samson. I've taught on Samson many times. I can teach the life of Samson from three chapters in Samuel, 1 Samuel. I can teach it in about 45 minutes, but that 45 minutes covers 20 years of his life and ministry. And over those 20 years, lust of his flesh, lust of his eyes, and you talk about pride, Samson. And finally, he hit the wall. Samson, he saved. David, oh yes, man after God's own heart, but he also an adulterer, a murderer. This is our heritage. Matthew was a tax collector. Peter, James, and John, pillars of the faith. And in Jesus' greatest hour, when Jesus says, can you not pray with me so that you will not fall into temptation? And three times they fell asleep. All the apostles deserted Jesus at the hour of the cross. Mary Magdalene, my sister in the Lord, she was given over to the devil. Jesus cast seven demons out of her life. Woman caught in adultery, she's in heaven. John chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she looks around, and they're gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go leave your life of sin. I've forgiven you. That's basically what he said, I've forgiven you. Jesus having dinner in the home of Simon the Pharisee. And in the midst of that dinner party, a woman that everybody in town knew, we are not given her name, but they knew her. It says she was a sinful woman. She had a reputation. She burst into that dinner party. She begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. And Jesus looks at her. He says, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee who was blind to the depth of his own sin. But after he came to know Jesus, you read his writings in the New Testament and you can't help but see the older he got in the Lord, the more clearly he saw how despicable his own heart was. And that's why he writes in 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And then the thoughts cause him to break out in this doxology. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Hey, listen, God's forgiveness is free. It costs Jesus his life, but it's free for us. Free. Isaiah 55, what, what a great, great chapter. You might want to turn there. I'll read for you. Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Now that sets up these two next verses that sometimes we pull out and quote without understanding the full context. Here they are. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. And those verses, the context of those verses is, here's the deal. God will forgive people we won't forgive. God will have mercy on people we won't have mercy on. The Ninevites, God forgave them. Jonah wanted them damned. God's forgiveness, free. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride, the bride is the church, say, come. It's an invitation. And let he who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Not only is it free. Oh, oh I'm going to get Jesus bumps on this one. It's complete. It's final. Psalm 103. Verse 8, Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And then get this one. As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. What he's saying is, it's infinity. It's like east will never meet west. It's infinity. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. You can't really chew on this for very long and ever come to a church service and not sing. You're saying, he just rebuked me. You can't chew on this and really get a hold of it and come to a church service and not sing. Complete and final. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. And then he adds, <laughs> then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Still today, sometimes I mess up and I want to make it up to God. And there's nothing I can do. There's no sacrifice. My righteousness is filthy rags. I don't know if you heard the story about the bishop and the young nun. The nun claimed to have had a vision of Jesus. So she's called before the bishop and the bishop questions her. And in his questioning, he said, did you talk to Jesus in this vision? And she said, well, yes. Well, after a little further discussion, the bishop put a test to her and says, if you have another vision of Jesus, 
and you talk to him. Ask him, what was your bishop's primary sin before he became a Christian? Thanks for joining us today to study Christian basics right here on The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. You can hear this message again or more from Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or would simply like to talk with us, feel free to send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. We'd also love to meet you in person. So if you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to invite you to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. We also live stream our services for those who are unable to attend in person. So don't let distance hold you back from worshiping with us. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Danny next time for more Christian basics right here on The Living Word.